and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Andrea Doyle, and I am the Senior Editor of Skiff Meetings. And in this episode titled Advocating for Change, I have the pleasure of speaking with Rana Kinsey, Executive Vice President of People and Culture at Emerald. Our conversation revolved around the issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We talked about the fact that college degrees are no longer a requirement. And in 2021, Emerald removed college degree requirements from 90% of its jobs, focusing on skill-based hiring instead. We also chatted about pay transparency and how that helps create equity at a company. And finally, about how it's important to include all. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out other episodes of the Skiff Meetings podcast, which you can find on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Okay, Ren, thank you so much for joining us. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. Thank you for having me. I am Ren Akinsey. I'm the Executive Vice President of People and Culture at Emerald. Uh, Emerald is a marketing and events company. We have over 700 employees in a global base. Uh, we have over 140 events and 16 media properties, as well as B2B, e-commerce, and digital merchandise solutions for our customers. Okay, great. And... um. How did you get involved in the meetings and events industry? I got involved when I was 10, actually, uh, way before I had a career um, in industry or in general. My parents owned dollar stores in Connecticut and growing up, going to trade shows was part of the business. And it was exciting for me as probably going to an amusement park. The possibilities in those trade shows always seemed endless. And it was super fun seeing all the merchandise, you know, being a kid, seeing all the gift merchandise was super exciting for me. Um, that was obviously many decades ago. Uh, interestingly enough, I was at one of our shows, ASD Market, which takes place in Vegas. It's one of our bigger shows. Uh, and I was carpooling with a woman who remembered my entire family. She remembered my uncle's uh, name. And, you know, we got to start talking about some of the business that she had done with them. So it it was a really full circle moment because it reminded me of what the trade show industry is all about, which is building relationships for small businesses and being very hands-on. So hearing her remember my uncle 20 years later was a very full circle moment and something that I'm really proud of because I think, you know, Emerald has 80% of our customer base are small businesses. And we have that same approach with all of them, very hands-on, even way after the transaction is done, building that relationship and sustaining that relationship is very important to us. So that is the full circle. Your parents own these dollar stores and those obviously are small businesses. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, now I work for a trade show industry and happen to be in a car with someone who worked with my parents when I was 10. Okay. And how exactly did you become executive vice president, people and culture officer? Because that's a very distinct position within a trade show company. So Emerald calls our HR function, people and culture. Prior to Emerald, I worked for an advertising holding company. And before then, I was in news media. Um, you know, when people ask me, what did I want to be when I grow up? My answer was always the same. And it was not HR because I didn't even know HR existed. It was always to be a lawyer. Um, for me, advocating for people was very important. And I thought, you know, if I could advocate for someone, I would be fulfilled in my life. Uh my trajectory on that changed a little bit after the financial crisis. My parents could not afford to send me to law school, so I knew that I had to do something else. And I landed in a position that helped me have exposure to HR. It was in a store manager for a retail position, and I realized, you know, I could I could advocate for people and and do great things for people without being a lawyer. So that was how I got into the HR industry and. And I love it. And I think it's a it's a really good career path for people who love advocating and doing what's fair by people. Okay. Why are you so determined to support the empowerment of talent? Um, personally, it's because in the beginning of my career, I had bosses who were not good advocates for me. And, you know, whether that was for pay or advancement, they were very self-centered in their approach to their own career development and growth and did not really care about their teams. And, you know, when you become in a leadership position, what shapes you is either the great bosses you had or the bosses who weren't so great. So you kind of basically take a little bit of both. Who do I not want to be and who do I want to be as a leader? Luckily for me, my experience with different type of bosses changed. Uh, later on in my career, I had some amazing bosses and great advocates, which I still have right now in my life, great mentors. So I learned from them what to do while learning from some bosses what not to do. And part of that was being a good advocate for my team. And then obviously for the employee population as it relates to advancement and pay. You know, if you love what you do, you you do it because it gives you a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging. You feel like you're making a difference and you're making progress in something. And that's where the job satisfaction comes from at the end of the day. But of course, you also do it because you get paid to do it. So I strongly believe that pay is important and I like being an advocate for it. Um, and up until more recently, pay was a very taboo subject. Even amongst friends or family, you never talked about pay. You never asked somebody, how much are you getting offered, et cetera. And I'm seeing that change, that conversation change, even amongst friends and family. But it's also changing in... Um, the workforce. And part of that is because there are a lot of laws being passed right now. I believe it's seven states, including California, New York, and Colorado, who are passing pay transparency uh, laws. And, and the reason for that is because they want people to um, have exposure to what the, the leverage of salary could look like and then negotiate their earnings and hopefully close the wage gap. And for your listeners who may not know what the transparency law is, is the states basically are asking all employers to put in the compensation ranges for all of the job descriptions. Um, and for Emerald, we're not just doing it in states that are uh, asking us to do that, New York, California, Colorado, but we're doing it for all states, even the ones that are not requiring it. And we believe that's important. The transparency is important for us. And is that listing just for job candidates or is it easily found on your website for all to see? 
Uh, it's for job candidates, but it's on our careers page. It's on LinkedIn and it's on Indeed. Wherever we're posting jobs, is uh, it's easily visible to our uh, employee population right now, as well as any candidates that are looking into um, possibly joining Emerald. And what has been the feedback that you've received by doing that, Ben? In the beginning, uh, I believe, you know, there's a little bit of skepticism around whether or not all companies were going to do it. Uh, I spoke to a lot of my HR colleagues and their companies were looking for loopholes on not doing it. Obviously, at Emerald, we decided the right thing to do was to post that and, and be transparent across the board. Okay. I mean, we've talked... You know, for so many stories I've been working on about the importance of diversity, inclusion, and equity, and um, it's a huge focus there at Emerald. That's why I reached out to you because I knew you would make a great um, podcast. Thank you so um, much. Can you talk a little bit about Emerald's um, diversity, inclusion, and equity efforts? Sure. So I've been with Emerald for the past two years. Our entire leadership team, uh, including and especially our CEO, believes in the importance of DNI. And I think it's important for me to say that because I know that a lot of the times, a lot of the company's DNI efforts are first focused on getting the buy-in from your CEO, getting the buy-in from your C levels. I didn't have that experience and I feel like our company is very fortunate for that. Um, you know, when I wanted to make our benefits more affordable while enhancing them, I didn't have to convince my CFO. He was already bought in. In fact, I learned how to effectively do that from him early on in my career when him and I overlapped at another company. Um, when you don't have to get that buy-in, you could start putting all of your efforts into actually making progress. And that was um, the case for us at Emerald. So in 2021, we started with removing college degree requirements from 90% of our jobs. That was personally important to me because as I shared with you earlier before, I felt like I didn't reach my full potential by not being able to go to law school. So for me, the degree thing was always a barrier between somebody's potential and their goals and and where they were in the current state. So removing that was really important to me. And, and our CEO, Herbeseki, was incredibly supportive of that. Um, after that, we decided to focus on skill-based hiring instead and what could that look like for us. And that resulted in us changing our job descriptions, training our employees on how to look for skills instead of just looking at the paper and and you know, eliminating or disqualifying somebody based on their um, credentials, their academic credentials. Um, this year, we started a rotational associate program, which allows talent exposure to different parts of the business. We are requiring unconscious bias training for all of our hiring managers. Uh, so you have to go through this training before you could hire anybody on your team. And this is an annual requirement as a refresher. This is something that we built in-house, my talent acquisition team. Uh, leads this. Uh, Danielle Antes is the one who's facilitating the conversation so that we could continue to teach our hiring managers how to, you know, curb their unconscious bias during the uh, the hiring process. And then we added a designated budget for immigration sponsorship and visas that lives with the people and culture team. Um, we also added transgender benefits and enhanced all of our existing women's reproductive health benefits so that we could have a more inclusive benefit design as well. Uh, most importantly, we started utilizing data, the data that comes in from ADP, our HR systems. Um, we're making progress there, but we want to make sure that, you know, the data is showing our progress so that it's not just anecdotal, that we actually have the data to back up our um, successes. So 
2022, more recently, we hired a DNI chair, Ron Walden, to help us get organized and focused on what parts of DNI we wanted to make commitments to. And for Emerald, it's in three parts. We have our people pillar, so that's the people and culture function, and what are we doing for our internal um, uh, people? And then we have the community pillar. This means how do we serve the communities in which we do business in? And then the business pillar which is how do we support minority-owned vendors and buyers as it relates to our business, or how are we supporting um, our vendors that we do business with, where's our procurement money going, et cetera. So each of the pillar has an executive co-sponsor, and we have about five to six members from the Emerald community who raised their hand and said, I want in, I want to help shape uh, our DNI initiatives and our strategy moving forward. Obviously, we recognize that that's like a full-time job for somebody. So we're very appreciative of people who spend their time helping shape what our DNI strategy is going to look like for everybody else. You touched upon um, how Emerald has eliminated the need for um, college degrees. Um, and, you know, we talked about that for story skip meetings published last week. Can you elaborate a little bit where um, that came from when, you put this in effect and what the response has been? Sure. So I think in general, we all need to rethink the way we hire. You, Andre, reported on the labor market shortage last week, and I want to give some context around that. Um, there are about 11 million job openings right now and only 6 million unemployed workers. So that's a gap of 5 million in the US. Um, the hiring is still strong. US added about 500,000 jobs in January. Unemployment still remains at a 50-year low. So we are in a labor um, shortage. And if we are only looking at people who have four-year degrees, we're missing out on a whole market of talented, passionate, hardworking people who don't have the opportunities because of that one barrier, and that barrier being that they did not get a four-year college degree. Um, according to McKinsey research, hiring for skills is actually five times more predictive of a job performance than hiring for education. So removing that college degree forces us to look at a candidate based on their skills and their experience, as well as um, their interest in the role. Mm -hmm. So we removed 90% of the degree requirements from our jobs. Obviously, some of our jobs still has to have it. Our general counsel has to have a law degree, um, as an example. But you know, we want to just eliminate the, uh, eliminate the barrier more than anything else. So what you're saying is a degree doesn't determine your ability to thrive in a position. Correct. And also, not everyone can afford to go to college. And maybe or they just don't want to be burdened with student debt. And there are also a lot of people outside of the cost factor who are just better learners in a non-traditional environment. So exactly what you said, it does not, your ability to thrive in a position, it should not be determined on whether or not you got a college degree. 
Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. What has been the reaction been to those who do have a college degree who are burdened with student loan debt? Yeah, so it was uh, a lot of people embraced it. And then you obviously had some people that were offended by the idea that we were just now taking the requirement away. And, you know, the sentiment there was, are you telling me that my degree does not matter? And I just want to reiterate that that's not what we're saying. Um the idea of removing a college degree was so that we could create equity, not to exclude other people. We acknowledge that there are a lot of talented people who don't have a four-year degree, but we also acknowledge that there are a lot of people who have master's and a PhD. I would have loved to be one of those people. So I love school. I just couldn't afford mm-hmm. it. So for me, removing that barrier is really just trying to level out the field a little bit by creating equity and not excluding somebody or telling somebody that their experience or their, um, you know, struggles to get that college degree or the burden of student debt does not matter. That's not what we're saying at all. So you're not dismissing people's achievements who have degrees? Correct. Of course not. We're just not putting a barrier for those who need life-sustaining jobs um, outside of, you know, a retail environment and, and have careers that may have not had the chance to go to college, or they just simply learn better in a non-traditional work environment. Mm-hmm. And I know, so this is one of the initiatives of your DEI um, focus at Emerald. How important is DEI to the success of a company? I think if you're not going to focus on DNI, you're going to leave a lot of people behind. Um, that includes your customer as well as your talent. The world is changing. The U.S. is changing. The demographics of our um, landscape is changing. So if you're only focused on the majority, what you consider to be the majority, you're going to miss out on a lot of incredible talent, diversity of thought, different experiences, as well as your buying power, your consumer's buying power. So. I, I I strongly believe in DNI, obviously, but I think as a business purpose, it's definitely something that businesses have to um, pay attention to if they want to be relevant in the future. Okay. And um, some companies say they have DEI, but then they don't really do anything about it. Isn't that worse? Like just saying you have such an organization, but then not having anything into place. I read somewhere that that's worse than not having anything at all. Um, I agree with that. I think what happens is a lot of the times there's good intention, but there are hurdles. So people tend to start with the DNI mission and, and the communication part of it before doing the work. And we were actually very intentional about not doing that. I wanted to start doing the work first before we had a mission and a goal and a communications plan around how we were going to communicate some of the things we were doing. And the reason behind it is because I've seen, you know, many times to your point, 
companies releasing statements and comms efforts, but then they're not, you know, they haven't been able to get to the work part yet. So I think it's important for people to start doing the work first and then having the work speak for itself and then being able to elaborate and then talking about the work that you're doing once you've um, started an action plan, which obviously is not always easy. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I think the most important part is if you don't have to get into the, the buying of your C-level, then you could start getting to the work fairly quickly. But if you're spending a lot of time trying to get that buy-in, I think that's where people tend to get stuck because they're not able to get over that hurdle. So since you had the buy-in, you could just hit the ground running. Exactly. And that was an incredible experience to, to not have to sell anybody on why this is an important um, thing for the company to do. I mean, DEI is such a, a passion for you. And for Emerald, do you have any suggestions as to how a company can increase its DEI initiatives? Yeah, I think um, every company should start with why it's important to your business and to your people first and what you'd like to achieve in one, three, five years. I think that's really important to, to, to get down on a piece of paper because otherwise you're going to, because there's so much to do. And, you know, we've done a lot of things, but we have so much more work to do on this area. So it could get overwhelming really quickly if you don't get organized about what it is that you want to achieve and kind of have a mission uh, on, on what areas that you want to tackle. For us, we did the college um, degree removal, and then we partnered with an organization called 110 because there was an alignment there on our values. So I think it's really important to be intentional about the goals and why those goals are important to you, because that's the only way you're going to be able to start working on them. Um, utilizing data as much as possible. And this doesn't have to be like sophisticated data. It's the data in your HR system, or if you're still using Excel spreadsheets on your Excel um, spreadsheet, that will show you where you are currently. And that is looking at the current demographic, who's in my female um uh, who's a fee, who's in my leadership, senior leadership? What is the demographic of the female um, or or you know non gender identifying or male? What does that breakdown look like? Same with race. Um, and then looking at where is the turnover? Is there a correlation between people who are underrepresented and turnover? And what are we doing there? So looking at the data as it relates to your company is a is a great start because then you can kind of identify where you're falling short and where there's some trends. Um, looking at your current vendor spend and working with your procurement team uh, on identifying opportunities where you can invest in minority-owned businesses is a great way to put your money where your commitment is. Uh, we have a procurement team who's dedicated to that and who's very intentional about that process. Um, as HR, during your, or you know, as a client, during your RFP process, ask your vendors what their DNI mission and goal is. So holding your own vendors um, accountable, making sure you're spending money where where people have a, a DNI process and a mission and a goal to support your own internal goals as well. So those are some important things that you could look at. Um, but whatever the goal is, you just have to be intentional about it. And the reason for that is because making change requires a lot of effort. And if I'm being honest, thick skin, because not everyone is going to trust your intentions or be happy about the work that you're doing. Some people are going to feel like it's not enough. And they're right, but only you know how much work it takes to get from point A to point B and that you have to start somewhere. And I think if you don't have an intentional approach that is aligned with the values of your company, supported by your um, your executives, 
then skepticism will easily derail you. And, you know, I think that's what you're referring to when you say that it's, it doesn't launch as fast or, or they're not making progress. And I think it's because the intention was not as focused or they didn't have the right support. So they couldn't get off the ground as quickly as they wanted to. And I guess that's why it's important to have a timetable, like you said, one, three, five years, because change does require such effort. Absolutely. So, and, okay. you know, if you only have one goal or two goals that you're focusing on, you know, a lot of the times people have a list of goals because it just seems like, you know, you could just check them off really quickly. It takes a lot of effort um, and a lot of time. And, you know, unless you have a dedicated DNI team, which we don't, then it's somebody else, some, you know, a community of people like our DNI council's second job. So um, in order to move the needle, you need to be very focused and intentional and maybe work on like one or two things per pillar. Like for us, our people pillar has two or three goals. Our community pillar has one or two goals. So we're, you know, we're being very intentional about what we're putting our energy in because recognizing that to move the needle, it's going to take a lot of time and effort. So we don't want to overwhelm ourselves by just having like a long list of things to do. Okay. But you do have a diversity officer, you mentioned, right? R Ron Walden? Uh, he's on our, so he leads our DNI chair. So it's, it's part of uh, his job, but it's not his full-time job. No. Okay. And then like, like you explained, you have other people who also have the dual roles. Absolutely. So we have, you know, on our people pillar, we have five or six people who are, um, you know, different levels of the organization, different job functions who said, I want to be part of this. Your mission is what I want to um, help support. So I'm going to sign in on this and we meet weekly. We do our town hall. Uh, we do monthly town halls at our company. We give updates on a monthly basis. So it is a lot of effort on that sense. I mean, it's obviously great work, but I think, you know, unless you have that support system around you, it's going to be harder to launch off the ground. And it sounds like it's important to have like-minded people. It's important to have people who are passionate about. Passionate, that's what I mean. Yeah, the work, absolutely. Okay, because you don't want like-minded, you want a diversity of thought. Absolutely, um, but you just want people who believe that this work is important. Okay. You had meant, oh, go on. <laughs> You had mentioned the importance of data. Um, are there sources where you go to to get data that help you with your DEI mm -hmm. initiative? I'm sorry, I, I, I couldn't hear you. You had mentioned data. Can you um, tell us about some resources you use for data? Oh, absolutely. We use our HR system. We use ADP. So we use our HR system to pull the data that is internal. Um, other resources for DNI that is that are more about the the business cases and and uh, more of the statistics, I use McKinsey. They okay. they publish a lot of amazing um, case studies. Harvard Business Review has a lot of articles that I find very informative. Uh, but my favorite is a website called Better Allies. I actually ask everyone on my team to subscribe to this because they send you five actionable items each week on how to be a better ally in the workplace. And there are, you know, five little nuggets that you could start um, acting on fairly quickly. And we can link those in, um, in, the, in the podcast for your listeners if they're interested. But those are my three go-to resources. Okay, great. What do you feel the future holds for the industry? I think, um, you know, as it relates to DNI, 
I think, and maybe this is just wishful thinking for me, but I think we're going to see a lot of progress in the next five years. Um, I'm seeing a lot of more data being published around DNI as it relates to our industry. I know you're writing a lot of articles on this, even this podcast, and I read some of the feedback from your articles and people are very receptive and, and positive. And I think people want to learn um, on how to how to get into making a difference and making progress in DNI. So I'm feeling very hopeful about it. Okay. Um, in our podcast, we always ask our guests, what how do you explain to friends and family what you do? So my mom asked me once, is all you do talk and travel for work? <laughs> She's like, and how do I get a job? Oh. Um, the best way to explain what I do is I try to be the middle ground between commercial and, and people, right? Like making sure that we are fair to our business and fair to our people. It's a very delicate balance, um, but it's one that, you know, when done correctly is what makes any company thrive and makes any of the talent happy. So for me, it's an advocate and being um, right in the middle ground and making sure that there's a balance between our business and our talents and that we're being fair to both. So that's like throughout our conversation, I would say to me, it seems your biggest passion is being an advocate Yes, it actually um, is what gives me job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. would, you, um, would you ever consider going back to law school? You mentioned that a few times. If anyone on your on this podcast wants to pay for it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> um, absolutely. You know, I feel like I'm... A lifetime learner. That's why I love reading articles and talking to people and, and listening to podcasts, reading books. Um, I just love learning, whether that's in a classroom environment or outside of the classroom. But I do love going to school, like the actual act of going to school, sitting in the classroom, opening a book. I love it. So yeah, I would love to still go to law school <laughs> for employment law, obviously, because I love HR. Right. So it would be in the same field, what you're Absolutely. doing now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, finally, we always ask our guests, who should we have on the next podcast? I think I mentioned our partnership with 110, and I would love for our industry to know more about what 110 in, is as an organization and, and hopefully partner with them. Um, they're a coalition of leading chief executives and their companies who are coming together to um, upskill and hire 1 million Black individuals who do not have a four-year degree yet into family-sustaining jobs within the next 10 years. So 1 million in 10 years. And I think it's a really good um, initiative. And I think uh, they're doing some great work and they are very good at teaching um, HR teams and, and you know um, operation teams and whoever is involved in it how to actually hire for skill versus a four-year degree or how to um, invest in your talent acquisition team so that they're learning on how to do this, et cetera. So the work that they're doing is really impressive. They have some amazing clients like Delta, Cisco, and Walmart. And I do believe that there's an opportunity for the events industry to be a part of it. And you know, if you are able to get the team behind it on, on the podcast to give a little bit more information, I think that'll be really uh, impactful. Okay, I, I will definitely reach out. Have you hired anyone from 110 at Emerald? So we're, not, 
so we are so because we removed the college degree requirements um oh. earlier on even before 110 we've just been hiring whoever we feel is the right person for the role whether or not they have a college degree we have not been tracking um it's not you know as part of the the you know we do background checks we no longer check for employment verification etc so i'm sure we have been hiring uh people that are coming through 110, but we're not tracking it separately. 110 for us has been really valuable in teaching us how to better assess candidates based on their skills versus just a four-year degree as, as the first requirement. So they've been really helpful. And, and there's a big community um, of, of you know thought leadership there that you learn from and a lot of great case studies that they share with you. So they've been really helpful in helping us navigate so that we're actually hiring um, in a more impactful way. Okay. I'm definitely going to reach out to them. And can you also um, tell me the name of the newsletter that you mentioned where you get um, actionable items about diversity and inclusion? Better allies. Okay. And, and they give you advice on how to become a more inclusive organization? They give you um, five actionable steps on how to become a better ally in the workplace. So you sign up for their um, subscription, like a weekly newsletter. They only email you once a, once a week on Fridays, and it's five actionable steps. And sometimes they're linked to some more research and more detail, but it's really great because it really helps you have like an aha moment or like gives you like an actionable item that you could use okay, on Monday yeah. when you're back in the workplace. I'm going to subscribe today. Is there anything else um, you would like to share with our listeners that I didn't ask? I think if you have a listener who's trying to get uh, the DNI progress off the ground or just need more information, I'm always happy to speak to them um, and, and and be a thought partner and bounce some ideas off. Same with Ron. Same with uh, my talent acquisition team, who's doing a lot of impactful uh, hiring. Uh, with with the unconscious bias training, et cetera. So any help that any of your listeners need or more information that they need, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to talk about this. Well, that's great. Well, always a pleasure to speak with you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks for being so supportive of, of the industry and our DNI efforts. Oh, of course. Thank you. Thanks.